ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. Former off-road professional Garen Fuller with his team at EC Homes, a top-notch real estate company, will help you buy or sell a home. Visit our website, echomesforsale.com, to get a free analysis on your home. Please mention ATV Talk for a 1.5% listing fee. Visit echomesforsale.com. Make sure you let them know who sent you. Hi, John. How are you, bud? I'm good. How about yourself? Good. It's been a while. It's been a long while. Yeah, it's good to see you. It is. You look good. Wow. <laughs> it's only because it's dark. <laughs> I thought it was Photoshop, maybe. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> technically the cameras are getting really good. Uh, yeah. Hiding all the defects now. So, <laughs> but I, I just carry those around with me every day, you know. Just yeah, I feel your pain. I'm the same boat. <laughs> hey, I just want to welcome you to ATV Talk. I, I appreciate you taking the time with us. I know you're a busy guy. We all have schedules and things that are happening, but uh, it's just a real honor to have you on. Thanks for having me. This, this should be fun. That's great. So let's just jump right into John Gregory and how did ATV racing get started for you? You know, it was a funny story. I was. I didn't start young. Like a lot of these guys started really young. Um, for me, I was not, I didn't get into ATV till probably 84, 85. So I actually wanted a, I was trying to con my mom into buying me a street bike at the time. I was probably 14, 15. And I wanted this Ninja 600. I just, for some reason, wanted a Ninja 600, you know, sport bike. And you know, looking back on it, it was a right, and I'm glad she didn't buy it because I probably wouldn't be here today. Um, <laughs> but she ended up buying me this, I think it was an 86 Kawasaki Takati, Takati three-wheeler. And she brought this thing home and I was like, oh, you know, whatever. You know, at that time, you just want to ride anything on the motor. So she just started riding that thing around with a bunch of friends, started ripping on it. And just, it kind of took off from there. I got from that, I, I think I went to like an 85, LT 250R, you know, quad racing, one of the first quads. And then it just kind of morphed into, you know, other stuff from there on. Excellent. Uh, how did you get into to the racing portion of it? You know, the racing part of it, we were, I would always go down south and, ri and ride around in Mexico in the sand dunes and San Felipe and just be riding around. And I think one time we were down there, there was a a local race that we kind of watched. It was like a Grand Prix. There used to be a lot of races down south, like, you know, 100 mile, two hour GPs. Like every weekend there was something. You know, this is back, you know, 85, 86. And I think at that time I, I got into like a Tecate 4, you know, that, you know, that when that Kawasaki, the two stroke quad first came out, they're very yep. rare. But I, you know, I got into one of those and I, I entered this Hilltoppers 100 mile Grand Prix. It was like a, just a loop. I, I, if I remember, I was like 20, 30 you know, mile loops and you just did it three or four times. It was kind of a cool and had a blast. And I think I raced like the novice class and just did well and had fun and kind of got hooked from there. And um, 
started rating D38 probably in late, probably early 90s, so 89, 90, 91, that era. Started writing D38 and, and quickly learned that if, if you could write D38, you could probably write anywhere. You know, it was by far the, the toughest, roughest terrain out there. And those guys were going really, really fast. And, um, you know, at that time, I think like, you know, Dean was writing out there and Rolls were writing. Greg Rowe is, you know, killing it out there. So it was, um, I had fun doing that stuff. It was fun watching those guys ride. Well, you were riding right along with them. So you no, and at, at first, no, I was, I was nowhere near those guys like Greg at the time. Um, I remember him, he gave me my first chat. Like I raced with him at a 24 hour race and I was probably the slowest guy on the team by far. And, uh, we won, we went, it was my first win and I was stoked, you know, and he was, he was, I remember that guy really, really, and I'm still, he still does, but he enjoyed racing. Like he just had a really big heart for it and he was having fun, you know, 24 hours, lap after lap, he's smiling. I mean, he just had a blast the whole time. And I got, I think I was probably 17, 18 at the time. And, um, it was my first D38 win. And from there I just got more hooked. And you know, you think you kind of thought, Oh, you know, I'm fast now, but that wasn't the case. There were still so many fast guys. I mean, it took a while for me to, to win a race out there. And, um, you know, it was fun. I, I look back on that and wish I could do it again. It was such a, such a blast when FUD was doing that stuff. And, Different times back then, though. It was a whole different time than it is now. Well, yeah, there's a whole different group of people, whole yeah. different level. Yeah, I mean, there's just how do you even monitor that, what happened then to now when you go when you go down there and everybody combined is yeah. was was a class for yeah. one for one group. In the, I mean, top 10 at D38, you were a stud. Like if you got top 10, you were legit. You actually rode pretty well. You did like the king of the desert. That was, you know, that brought all the guys out because of the money. And if you did, you kind of could base where you were at compared to who was racing at the time. But any D38 race, if you broke the top 10 at that time, I mean, you were, you were good. You were decent. You, you could, you know, walk around like you owned the place. Was what, was cool. your, what was your finishing numbers for the, the era? I think my, I never, I never won a championship out there. Never really applied. My, I think I applied, you know, the first couple of years, I, I, you know, my rookie year, um, I think I, I finished, I want to say like maybe 14th, 15th. And then my second year out there, I think I finished eighth, which I was pretty stoked with eighth. And then after that, it got into like score and I got into other stuff. So I really didn't kind of chase those points anymore. But even if I did, you know, to be honest with you, if, if I applied myself and just did every race and didn't miss one, I don't, I still don't think I could have at that time. I don't think I could have won, you know, maybe a top three if I was lucky, you know what I mean? But you know, near the end when I like Ben Schlemmy was racing out there and Greg, I mean, there were some really, really fast talented guys out there racing that I learned a lot from. I mean, there, it was a good group of, you know, guys, but there was a lot of fast guys out there. Yeah. Um, there's still, those guys are still thought of very highly and because most of them went on to win score titles or race and score yeah. winning teams, you know, so you, you know, of them, I, I don't know, uh, best in the desert was, was just as huge. It just wasn't talked about as much. Best in the desert was different because score you could pre-run and the guys that put the time in did well at the race. Like, 
they knew their core. Like if we were going to, you figured if you were going to do your section at midnight, then you pre-ran at midnight and, and you ran it over and over and over and over again until you, you hopefully you memorize every little piece of it. Now, when the race started, you kind of forgot some of that stuff because your, you know, emotions are all over the place, but it, you had that advantage. Best in a desert, a lot of times. They either got to you early or later. Right. Yeah. But best in a desert, a lot of times, but like, especially racing with Doug, cause he was so fast and he would, when he gave me the bike, we were usually doing pretty well. We were probably the first quad or second quad through that section. And whoever came before us was a bike. So it was literally a four inch trail going through some of the stuff. And you come in through this, you know, 50 inch quad and it, it was, um, it was different. You know what I mean? And it was raw terrain and, and you had a hard time reading it or knowing what was, you come up over a ridge, you know, third, fourth gear pin, you don't know what's on the other side of that ridge. You, you can't just let it rip like you can in score or something else. You really had to ride with your brains. So it was a whole different, you know, different beast. But I, I felt that score had more competition at that time. I think there was a lot more guys racing it. I think they liked the, the fact that they could pre-run <clears throat> and a lot of guys were scared of the unknown. Well, it was Mexico. I mean, it, it, you know, the, the farther south you go, the funner it is. I mean, there's no place like Mexico. I still love, you know, you go to Cabo and you I mean, special race point to point is, you know, San Felipe, I still love San Felipe. Those places are amazing to ride. You can go from the forest to the desert, to the coast, you know, in your section, you could go from trees to middle, nothing to the beach. And you can't really do that anywhere else. Right. It is pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I, I've, I didn't get to spend a lot of time in Mexico. Uh, 2007 to 2012 were, was my, you know, and I only raced in, I only raced myself one best of the desert race in Mexico. Yeah. I remember that the 300 or for what they called it. Yep. It was a best yeah. Mex Cali. Mex, Mex, that's yeah. 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 Cali Mex like 300 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. I, I got to, that's the only time I rode down there. <laughs> so I never got to race any score races or nothing. Um, probably just because at that time I was just busy working and becoming a mechanic, not, not honing my racing skills. Yeah. Yeah. Mexico is, is a different beast. It's, um, I mean, I, I think my first race was first Baja 1000. I want to say it was 91 probably. And my last one was Oh five. If I remember right. So it's a, a pretty good. And I did every year, every year we did every race. So there's a lot of time down there. I'm sorry. All the score. You did all the score. Yeah. Race? But the, the, there used to be, well, I think my first year, no, I think Parker, I think my first year we did Parker. And then after that, it was just the three Mexico. So it was one, the 250, the 500, the 1000. And then one year they added Henderson. We did, you know, in Nevada. Um, that was only one year that went away, which I wish I would have kept it because it was a good race. Um, but that was it. I think it was mainly, you, see, score points, and everybody, a lot of people know this, but score, they give you a point for starting. They give you points for finishing and then they give you points for how you finished. So, and then each checkpoint, I think you got a certain amount of points. So, you know, when we first started racing back there, you did good if you finished. I mean, it was different, you know, back, you know, nineties, people were breaking all over the place. You know, you you'd break in a wash, you'd wake up in the morning, there's five of the people around you. You didn't even know until you woke up because you can't so pitch dark out there. But, you know, near the end, you know, when I, when I near my end, anyways, when I quit racing, you couldn't have any downtime to win. I mean, you, if you got a flat, you're out of the running. If you had to change a, a filter or something, you're out of the running. I mean, it, it got so intense and the gaps got so small 
that it, it really, really changed from, from where I started to where I finished. There was a lot of fast guys near the end and you, there was no margin of error. You had to have everything down. Everybody had another section, all the pits had to be dialed to, you know, to win, you know, you have to gas and go all day long to pull off a win. And it wasn't like that in the beginning. If you, I mean, I remember when you're in the thousand, we wrote a banshee and we, we scheduled the top end. Like we literally said, okay, at this mile marker, we're going to change piston just because we were used to breaking so much, you know, and, and if you finish, you did well. And we just wanted to finish. And, and normally like when the 400 X came out, that changed a lot of what was happening down there. Um, you know, the 400 X came out and it made a lot of stuff reliable. And then, you know, the two stroke mark, you know, that, those engine guys got way better, you know, at building stuff that, you know, stuff started finishing at a high level. I mean, we could race, you know, a thousand miles on a 250R and have no problems, but you know, that wasn't the case. And, in 87, 88, you know, you're racing those on race engines. You, you were probably DNFing, you know, unless you were, you know, babying it pretty, you know, somewhere along the line. Well, that, for some guys, that was that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of guys. Well, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it just depends on what circle you wanted to walk in there. Yeah. You know, I, I know that we were motocross racing a lot of, of that era. We yeah. did spend a lot of time in Mexico and we did some, we did do some motors for the Mexico stuff, but most of our time was spent back East. Yeah. Well, a lot of those guys and including me, you know, when I first started, you're on a budget and to do it right, you know, it, it took me a long time to realize like you had to treat like the 250 to 500 to 1000 that wasn't, I mean, used one bike for that series normally, but it wasn't, like you, did, you didn't do your engine in January and it lasted to December, you know, and a lot of guys, that's what they figure. They spend a bunch of money in their engine and they think it's going to last all year. I mean, we did a whole new build. I mean, it was a whole new bike pretty much every race, but, you know. I mean, today, to be competitive at Best in the Desert or Score, it's yeah. a bike every time you roll. Yeah. And it may but be it took a long time bike. to realize that. I mean, a lot of DNFs before we figured that out, like, hey, this is you know, you, you replace one thing and, and they broke somewhere else. So you didn't replace, it went to the weakest point, you know, where you didn't replace. So you pretty much had to replace everything every race. Well, that desert stuff is hard. It is. It is. You and guys were getting faster and riding them harder. So yeah. And the level of competition, I mean, you got to remember, you know, in, in, I don't remember, let's say Oh four, you know, Oh three, Oh four, there was, I think now, I don't know. I, I, I don't follow it, but I, I see people, you know what they say and, I don't know what, if there's 10 quads, they're happy. You know what I mean? It, it's, it wasn't like that back then. I mean, you were lucky to, to finish. And if you, you know, there was a lot of quads at that starting line and anybody, there was, you know, four or five teams that could easily win on any day. Yeah. Just how the, how the prep went, how the ball yeah. bounced, whether they got flats, whether they didn't. <clears throat> yeah, I get it. You know, yeah. I, I miss the larger lines. You know, when I was racing, uh, best in the desert in 2001, 2002, whatever it was. Yeah. You know, the, the, you're starting behind everybody and the, the race starts at sunrise, right? Six 30 ish in the morning. Yeah. You're not rolling off the line till almost eight. Yeah. You know, yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, you're an hour back of that first Kawasaki or first Honda, whatever is off that line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're yeah. so far back. And, and then, I, mean, I remember, you know, meeting like Bruce Ogilvie. And there was a lot of guys that taught me a lot. You know, Ogilvie was one of them. He was just a desert rat. Like he knew 
Baja. He knew the desert. He knew what it took to win, obviously. And I mean, we, I learned a ton from him, just the preparation part of it and how to build a team. You know, he, he had, he was just a smart person. Like the one thing that always stuck with me was he, he always felt that you couldn't, he, he always leveled, he labeled writers numbers. He's like, okay, there's a one, two, and a three. And, he, and that was by your skill or how talented or how fast you were in a desert. And he goes, you can never build a team with all ones and be successful. He goes, maybe, you know, here and there you'll win a race, like San Felipe, you know, where it's just a sprint to the finish. But he was, you can never build a, a team with all ones. He goes, you have to have a mix of everybody. Everybody's better at different stuff. And he goes, a lot of times you have all ones, you have a lot of ego and you have a lot of broken bikes, you know, because you got like, so he's like, you one, twos, and threes, like he always, you had to put a good, solid team together, smart team. And, and the prep was huge. I remember, you know, when we, <clears throat> you know, we, we first got involved with the, you know, the 400X with them and, you know, with pit support. And that was huge in Mexico because they were Honda pits where no one else could be. Like if you had a, we had three or four chase trucks, but to get to some sections, you had to literally drive in before the race started. And be and you couldn't leave till the race was over because you're literally on the race course in the middle of nowhere where Honda was there. I mean, they were there the day before camping out. So that that was huge, you know, with that stuff. And then we got into the Rincon thing with the Honda team, and that helped tremendously too. You know, just those things were farm vehicles, and they made them pretty fun to ride where they could go. I mean, I think that year we raced them was, I think it was La Paz, if I'm not mistaken. It was you know the Baja 1000 to point and um. Again, there's just so much, it was all in the prep. And then, you know, when I, when we didn't do the Honda stuff, we were racing with the, like the Duncan, you know, with you guys and Lauren taught me so much, you know, and, and I mean, one thing, like, I love Lauren because you always know where you stand with LD. I mean, he's, he's black or white. If you're doing something wrong, he's going to tell you and he's going to tell you how to fix it. And if you apply it, you're probably going to be successful. If you don't apply it, then you're probably going to have some issues. You know what I mean? So a lot of people the prep for the desert was huge. And it, unfortunately I learned that later rather than earlier. You know what I mean? Right. But it is what it is. What are you going to do? Well, that's, everybody's got a curve. You've got to learn at the rate you're going to learn and there's just nothing you can do about it. Yeah. I mean, some of us, you know, like I talk to younger riders or guys that are coming up, you know, guys that have prepped bikes that have done well. And there's a difference. And I don't know what the difference is. I don't know. Tightening the bolt is tightening a bolt, but no. Yeah. To me. Okay. Yeah. And I'm just saying from, from my perspective, tightening the bolt is tightening the bolt. I mean, you can only do it one way, the right way, you know, you use the torque wrench, make sure everything's free. When yeah. You know, you clean it, you grease it, you do all this stuff. And, 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 and there's a step or two in there that some people miss. Yeah. You know what that yeah. step is or why they're missing it. But <laughs> you know, I mean, so I, yeah. I've been very fortunate and very blessed to work with some really great guys that enjoyed the machines that I built um, and, and had some success. Do I, to this day, when I look at myself in the mirror, I don't think I'm any better uh, of an assembler than anybody else. It's just, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know how to, you've assembled bikes. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You had bikes that were perfect and you had bikes that, yeah. You know, when you're putting it together, you're scratching your head thinking, oh my God, this is. Yeah, no, I agree. I remember our best, I think one of the best bikes we ever had was Vegas Trino one year. 
me and Eichner on a, on a Lobo. It was a brand new Lobo. And I remember this bike was ran amazing. It ripped. The suspension, everything was perfect. Like you can go as fast as you wanted through any section. And I, I, I think we had the weirdest, the weirdest, like the crank sheared off. Yeah, you probably remember this. The crank sheared off, but not in the rod or not where you would think. It, it sheared off by the flywheel. Like I've <laughs> never had that happen. I've never had it happen again after that. It was a brand new crank. It wasn't like it was an old Ed Miles. It was a brand new crank. And just something weird. Like, see, something you, you, you know, you don't plan for that. And it happens, you know, unfortunately. And, and you learn, even, you learn that, everything. That, from, we try to take something at every, even if it's not what to do, right? You know, you, you learn from every race like, how to get better and how to get better. And even if it's, but that one, it was like, I don't know what we could do differently. <laughs> you know, I think we thought about changing a crank, but it took us forever to get the bike, you know, in the middle of nowhere to a pit. And then you know, to split you? the cases in the back of a truck was tough. Wasn't that but, me and you? Yeah, yeah. It was me and Eichner, and you, I think, I think you picked, was it you picked me up? Someone I was picked me up. There. Remember I was towing you? Oh, yes. And we got, we got within, what, three quarters of a mile of the pit? Yep. And the yeah. vehicle shut off? Yeah. And I think I hitched the ride up back of an XR or something, if I remember right. Yeah, you brought me back tools and I took it apart. Yeah. That's when we realized that the fly was the weirdest thing. Yeah. I remember me and you in the middle of the desert. Yeah. yeah. It was probably 80, 90 degrees. And we're trying to out there trying to, and you, you know, at the desert to be successful. And, you know, every desert race, I tell you, you have to never, never quit, right? Like get to the finish line because you don't know what will happen. You could be an hour back and, you're like, oh, I'm out of this race. And then you keep going and, you know, the guys in front of you start having problems. It just ends up happening that way sometimes. So you kind of just get, go keep going forward and get to the finish line. That was the whole motto. Yeah. But just stuff like that. Like, you know, if, if it could happen, it can happen. Unfortunately it happened. And, you know, probably, I forgot what year that was. It was probably, I was I on know, 400 EX. Yeah. 400 EX and Mark Spates was my partner. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. It was a good group of guys. Well, Rocky put us on that 400 to be, that's all we were there to do. <laughs> that's how I was We got you to the pit. <laughs> yeah. No, it was a good, it was fun. I mean, I look back at that and I laugh. You know, at the time, I think I wanted to cry, but it, it is what it is. What are you going to do? I still have that riding jacket that I tied the quads <laughs> together with. Still have it. Still I can't believe you remember that. Like oh. I remember pieces of it. I don't remember like exactly what we used to tie it down or how far we, I remember I broke and I remember we're just being out there waiting and finally you came along and I thought, oh, okay, this is it. We're going to fix this thing. And you know, we couldn't fix it. We started towing it. And then we had that issue with the tow bike. So then I hitched the ride with an XR. This guy was cool enough to give me a ride, you know, to the pit. And then, you know, I think I ran back out jogging. I took everything off because, you know, at the time, best in desert had rules. Like, you couldn't get any outside support until you're at a pit. Right. So it's not like we could drive back in like Mexico, you drive back in or take another quad in or whatever you got to do. I mean, I had to run back in to where you were at with tools and, you know, we did our best to make it, you know, get to the finish line. Unfortunately, it wasn't our day. No, we couldn't. There's nothing you can do for that one. Yeah. Nothing you can do for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, fun stuff, but it was great. You know, Rocky was pissed at me cause I didn't have a toe strap. <laughs> you know, yeah, I, I remember that. Used my jacket. I got it in, dude. <laughs> I was not not gonna tow that bike. I didn't. Yeah, I think at that point he, you're just mad. You know what I mean? He was just yeah. mad. He, he needed something, to, you know, something to blame, something to yell at. So you know, we, we could have had five toe straps. It would have made a difference. You know what I mean? Toe strap was in Spates' backpack. 
was it? <laughs> didn't get in line. Yeah. yeah. It was it was a, just a bad situation. You know? Yeah. It was fun though. I had blast. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. You know. I mean I still do. I I still love going and doing that stuff. Yeah. Not I haven't been the writing part, but the I haven't been to a desert race since oh five, I think. Yeah, I just I haven't been to Best in the Desert. I've been to some work stuff here and there, but yeah, it's been a long time. Best in the Desert. I was building bikes for the guys that are currently leading the the series this year, and they won it the two years prior. So, you know, uh, I, I've recently been out there. Same pits, same course. <clears throat> you know, I, I kind of watch that stuff here and there, and now I remember when we did it, you had two riders, right? And it, you know, whatever, whether if it was 150 miles or the Vegas train or what at the time was about five, 600 miles, whatever that was. I mean, you had two riders and that you had to do it with two. I mean, Vegas, what was it that was it the Nevada 2000 or one, I forget what they called that. The 2000, I think you had two riders, Nevada 1000, you had two riders. I mean, it, it, now I think it's three or four riders. If I'm not, I could be wrong, but I, I know they let more than like the pro class. You could add more people, I think, which right. I think takes away from what that was about. You know what I mean? Like, I think you kept it too. And that's where like score was different because score, you could have, you know, four or five or six, whatever number you want. I mean, it wasn't smart to do that, but sometimes you had to, but, um, I don't know. I mean, I, like I said, I quit watching it, but I know it's more than two now. Do you know what that is? I think it's four. Is it four? Yeah. It that's might a different be game. Yeah. It's a totally different game. Yeah. That's different. It's a, yeah, spr- you could, it's a spring. Yeah. You could put a new guy every pit and just hammer. I mean, and, and, and that's kind of, you know, that period of one, two, three guys. Uh, no, you want ones and twos because it's a sprint. Yeah. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. If you, if you could ride four riders, yeah. yeah it's, I think San Felipe at 250, we used to try to do it with three, you know, just because it was, a, you know, San Felipe was a one race and score that it was a sprint. I mean, you were racing from start to finish wide open. It was probably the roughest course. And it was usually the fastest guys who won that race. Um, yeah. Where the 500,000, you know, the fast guys always won, but a lot of equipment and preparation was, you know, would, would reflect on your results. Not so much with San Felipe. You could go out there and just be stupid fast and, you know, ride the wheels off the thing and finish the flats and probably win. Right. Different, yeah. I hear you. But yeah, it's, it, it, it's good now. It's just different, you know. I'd like to see some of the older teams run with some of the guys that are racing now, just mm-hmm. to be, you know, that age old thing. Hey, which era was the fastest, which group were, which group guys could go the fastest. You know, if you take the guys from today and put them on that old equipment, you know, I don't think, I don't know how before you got to the Lobo with Axis shocks, yeah, load those things. I mean, is there anything better than that now? I think so. Really? I think a 0405 chassis with stage five Elkas on it. Um, after Doug Roll works on them, you're yeah. you're not going to beat that. You know, I don't know. The Lobos were pretty flawless. I mean, you could. I agree. I think the new 450, or I don't even say a new 450 anymore, but just that motor platform well, had more. Yeah, but- it's what Doug's done to the shocks with Elka. Yeah. And I, and I can't comment on that because I haven't ridden an Elka shock since, you know, 405. And, I, and I'm sure they had to get better than the last 15 years. So. Oh, dude, the stage. <laughs> yeah. 
is not even on the same planet. You know, when we were testing that 450, you know, when that, when that bike first came out, we tested it probably. So we raced at Baja 1003. We tested it right after San Felipe. So let's call it March. And um, it wasn't that good. Like the first 450 wasn't that good at all. It wasn't even near what the production one was. And, and we, I think at the time we said we'd only race it if it, it can be better than our Lobo. So that was like, we used that Lobo as a, as a baseline. You know, that was our baseline. When this bike got near this bike, then we'll consider racing it, you know, at the thousand, because there's always a goal is to race it at the thousand to release it for an 04. And um, I, I honestly didn't think it'd ever get there. Like, I never thought, oh, there's no way this thing's going to get this good. Maybe it'll get faster, but it's nowhere, it's never going to get that good. And I'd say by June, it was, it was definitely better. It was probably the fastest. I mean, it was just amazing how fast and good that thing was. And, and that was without getting really, that, that's without having, you know, years of tweak on it or, you know, a season, you know, to dial it in and tweak on it. And, and now what we build will smoke what we used to build. That's crazy. You know, it's, it's, yeah. not, it's the same platform that's just been refined over 15 years. Yeah. In years, you know, I mean, it's that's good. You, you, I still think that the 0405 in the, in the desert and in some off road platforms, there's no better. Yeah. You know, the 06 up is, that's a damn good bike, but I just don't think it's, it's the same strength is what I'm trying to say. You can build the same suspension into it. You can do all the same tricks to it. You can add an oil cooler. You can do all the dual fan. Yeah. You can make it super reliable, but it still has one weak link that you can't fix. And that's the transmission. On the 06 up. Yep. The yeah. 1914s were better than the most of them. Um, and there's guys that are racing the, 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 old, the newer style bike and having some success. And they're learning how to keep them from having a, a failure right. where you ride them. But still that whole four but it's just like you know the first was a 250r was probably the 86 i think and then you went to an 89 i remember getting an 89 and it out of the box i thought was way better running than my 86 race bike was you know it's just from honda improving that thing from 86 to 87 to 88 89 i remember the 88 89 platform was a way better baseline than the 86 could ever be and i'm sure with the with the two with the 450r was the same thing you know the the 0405 you would think getting to 06, 07, 08, I don't know what the last year was, 09, maybe 10, I forgot what it was, uh, or 12, 13, I think. 14. Yeah. It didn't make I don't think there was much change 12. from that 14 to that 06. Uh, there, was a, there was a minor differences in the air, air intake system, mm -hmm. and I believe, I can't tell you this for sure, but I believe they changed the soup for the making the tranny. What I mean yeah. is it, it, the heat treating. But, but back in the 80s, you know, when Honda was racing, they every year they, they almost like the, they do on the two wheels now, you know, every year that bike makes the last year's bike obsolete, it felt like, you know, where when Honda was involved and they're, you know, for, they made that bike better from the factory and then the aftermarket took it and made it even better from there. You know, for, for a lot of years, you know, when Honda quit making a 250R, the aftermarket you know, everybody, when I mean aftermarket, all the companies like Duncan and CT and all these guys and Roll Design and Axis, they carried ATV racing until, you know, the factories got back into it. You know what I mean? And, and so I don't, I don't think that era when the factories came back hurt us as bad as 
you know, they went away for a little bit and then they came back. Yeah. One more last ditch with Can-Am and, and Yamaha. Cowie and everybody. Cowie, that hurt us. Yeah. Because they, well, it teased us. Yeah. And it put us into a financial <laughs> tailspin with the riders yeah. and they were worth all this money. And you know what, if the company that's supporting you ain't got that money, you ain't worth that money. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, <laughs> the, 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 the independence got the racing industry to there and then the factories slapped us. Right. It's like a little little city or little town that gets a Walmart, right? And yeah. all the little shops close because this Walmart's there and then Walmart leaves. Where does that leave the whole little city? Right. You know, yeah. and, and the factories, instead of sticking their hand out and going, hey, you guys did this. Let's, what can we do to work with you? Well, I think some tried, you know, backdoor wise. I don't think they did it openly. You know, I know Honda and Yamaha did some backdoor. You know, I think Yamaha's still involved from that mistake. Not, not to the level they could be, but obviously... You know, if the bike sales aren't there to support it, they can't do it. But, you um, know, Can-Am just went cold. You know, Kawasaki just went cold, I think. Suzuki, which is probably the guy spending the most of the money, you know, just disappeared. Well, they got, so, <laughs> they got in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole different adventure, but yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, 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 we could talk about that in one whole... Yeah, it's a whole different podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> We'd have to censor it. <laughs> exactly. Then we wouldn't double dare it. Uh, yeah, I, I don't... I don't begrudge the factories for anything they do. I just don't have to agree with it because, you know, I seen how hard we worked as a company to build our brand and to do the things that we did in all the different platforms that we raced from, you know, GNCC to GNC. We had guys racing score. We had guys racing best in the desert. Uh, You know, we didn't uh, have works at the time because it didn't come into, into B until 2001. So, you know, we were out doing our thing and, and racing all over the country, all over the world, because your rendezvous started in 92. Well, that for us anyways. And that put that race on the map. So that was a whole nother level for everybody to race, you know, the one 12 hour endurance world championship thing. Yeah. It, 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 you can't have a, you can't be bitter. But no, I wasn't happy with the way things went down. We worked. No, hard. I agree. We worked too hard to build that reputation and <laughs> and yeah. to, uh, to do that. And we're still working hard every day, you know. Yeah. Well, you guys, you know, there's a, it's a handful of people that have been in for the long haul. So, I mean, Lauren was doing stuff, shit, for those guys back in what '86. Um, 85 Lauren worked with Honda in 87. Yeah. And, uh, 86 is when he met Marty, Marty Hart. Yep. But you know, our pops has been working with the magazines and, and the start of it back in the seventies, you know, back when it was nineties. I mean, you remember dirt wheels magazine. Uh, my dad, let's say, let's say Oh four. Let's just pick an 04 April issue, right? Mm-hmm. The thing looked like a Bible. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was thick. It was huge. Yeah. Everybody had an ad in it. You know, now I think I picked one up at a Vons or something, I don't know, maybe a month or two ago. And I was like, what the hell is this? Yeah. It's just different. It's sad. But, it, you know, I'm glad there's still a lot of people out there that love the sport, still racing, which is great. Um, 
it's different though. It's just not the same. And it, you know, like, again, that's probably a whole nother podcast on itself too, but it's just like you, you were mentioning who's faster, what era. I don't know if you could ever answer that question. No, you couldn't because the courses aren't the same. The equipment's not the same. Mm-hmm. And you know, they do this with boxing where they simulate it on a, on a simulator with the different guys. And, yeah. and you know, depending on how you run the simulation, who's going to win at which given time, uh, you know, cause I'd like to see Eichner against Josh Rowe against Stan yeah. or against, you know, get Jimmy Stevenson in there and Greg Stewart yeah. and, and, uh, Cody Mitchell and, and, uh, Dave Scott, you know, and, and you just keep going back and back and back to the, to the era of the fast guys, you know, to where you get to the Greg Rose and you get to Cliff Matlocks and you get Fuller in there, you know, and, yeah. and you get all these guys and you line them up and let them go. And wow. Wouldn't that be amazing? I, I, and I agree with you. The, there's no way of ever telling who's faster, but I do think the level of competition makes people train harder or push harder or ride faster. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, if, you know, like talking about, and again, I don't want to just keep going back to the old days. I'm not saying that that's we're better or worse or they're better or worse. It just, it was a different time. You, like, I remember, you know, riding with Doug and that Doug was like a teacher for me. You know, he taught me so much and Doug, was so mentally, like mentally strong. I mean, he was just, he, anytime he got on the bike, he expected to win, you know, and he, he just went and rode. And I remember, you know, how fast he would go in the desert, how fast he would go in the dust, you know what I mean? And, and he could actually see like most people, like for me, I, w- I think I had a rule. Like if I couldn't see, I, I would, I would hold the gas on for three seconds. That was my rule. I'm just going to hold for three seconds. Hopefully it clears, you know, or you hit something or you just, you don't know what's going to happen. Right. A lot of times you figured out what you're doing in those three seconds, hopefully. But with Eichner, he just, he could see. And he was going as fast as, you know, that guy was as fast in the dust or the night as he was in perfect conditions. He which was faster in the night. And yeah. Than he was in the daytime when he could see. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it was tough. I mean, he, um, you know, I think the first time we rode together, I probably shouldn't have rode with him. You know, and honestly, like, he was just so at a whole different level. You know what I mean? He was a little different than a lot of people, but I mean, I was, you know, he'd been riding with Steve for all those years. And then I, you know, I think the first year we rode our 400 X, I rode with them and he first best in the desert race. He comes in a pit and I think we're probably top three. And we, he started probably 20th or something crazy, you know, and he just goes through the pack and I get on and I'm just so amped up and so freaked out. I literally went two miles and nailed the rock and just took out the front tire. So I think I had to go probably another 20, 25 miles, whatever it was with this flat front tire, which didn't help. You know what I mean? Right. And it just, he, you just wanted to, I guess from my point is I, I wanted to just get better because of him, you know, cause he was always training and, and he was there and he was carrying the team pretty much. And I just wanted to feel that, okay, I got to do my part. And he, he kind of, he made me 10 times better than I ever could be. You know what I mean? Just thinking that I, you know, I needed to do what I had to do to compete or be close to what he was, you know, obviously I was never near that, but, you know, in my head, I, it pushed me harder and harder and harder to get there. You know what I mean? And so, the, you know, that was the great thing about Doug is he didn't put that pressure on you. you no, never did. No, that was, yeah, but it was good. I'm glad he did. I mean, I'm glad it was the way it was, you know, I just didn't take anything for granted. You wanted to do the best you could for him. You know, I wanted to, to earn it, you know what I mean? So no, for me, it, it is what it was, but, um, he had that way of, he never put that pressure on. He was always positive. Never once got on, 
you know what I mean? And I made bunches of mistakes, but he never once, you know, called me on it, which is good. So no, it was just, but I think, I guess my point again is just because of that and because of who we were racing, you know, and Yokely was racing at the desert, you know, here and there at the time. And Jimmy Stevenson was stupid fast. Dillman was fast. I mean, there was a handful of guys that could win it any day. And, and Matt um, Locke was on his way up. Yeah, you know, Matt Locke, I, Matt Locke was super fast. But he, you know, the, the one year, that I think my last year racing, he was on a Suzuki still. And that wasn't really helping him. You know, he got really fast when he switched to Honda. So I think his first year in a Honda, if I'm not mistaken, was I think 06. And I think my last year was 05. So we kind of, like, he was coming in and I was going out. You know what I mean? But he had a racing with Danny, I think, on an LTZ or something. Which right. they rode, I mean, they, they were hauling ass too. So yeah, I mean, there was a lot of fast guys. Yeah, I, mean, I think if Matlock was on a Honda earlier, then for sure. Yeah, I, mean, I think that Suzuki held them back a little. Yeah, because Stevenson and, and them uh, riding the Z400, it was, they, they had a rocket ship, but it yeah. go 500 miles. Yeah, yeah. And Jamie was fast. And I think, you know, the year he raced with, if I'm not mistaken, he raced with Cafro one year on Lobo. And they were super competitive. I mean, that was a tough year. That was years back. Yeah, that was a tough year. I mean, it was... Because when yeah. Al and I were riding the Raptor, he was Stevenson was uh, teamed with Stewart, and then uh, the following year they switched, I believe, to um, that six fifty. Yeah, see that. So that year they switched. I I quit racing by then. Right. So I don't remember. I think when the last I remember Stewart, he was racing with Billman. I think on a Raptor, which was like oh. Three or oh four, maybe. Uh, it had to have been oh three because I didn't maybe race. Oh three. I yeah. didn't race. I stopped racing best in the desert in, in 03. So I quit racing the the one. The, so we got the Honda, you know, the four fifty program, and then we raced it for that one year, and then I stopped. I was done after that. So it's cool. Like I had planned to quit the year before, but then knowing that that four fifty program was coming, like I wanted to really be involved with that. And you know, I remember we getting those. We got. I think we had a bike you got everybody we had a bike way before anybody else had one for development you know what i mean we had bikes probably again i think i remember going to glamis with a 450 on on halloween the weekend before halloween weekend we had a prototype and we're at glamis and no one knew what the hell it was and we we're racing up and down comp hill and killing everybody not everybody you know there's some crazy stuff at glamis but you know 450s and yfz's or whatever people are running and everybody thought it was a foreigner x for some reason it was the funniest thing <laughs> but yeah that was you know those were good times yeah because we had we had our engine kit built yeah and our ims had a tank roll had peg we had we had everything i mean when we got that race bike that first race in an 04 which was parker i think at the time best in the desert yep we had a full race bike i mean we had everything shocks a-arms axe we had everything yep we had those bikes so early, so it was kind of unfair, but it was fun. It was a good program to be part of. I mean, it was a really... And we all got in trouble. We did, yeah. I remember that, too. Yeah, yeah a little hush-hush. I, I, we don't know whose fault it was. I know that I drove it around in the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> Somebody else did, too, because five photos came out of AC in AC Racing's garage. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there was probably too many people involved, but yeah. Well, it had I, to be. Was involved. AC was involved. We were involved. <laughs> Roll was involved. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, it was funny when we finished that whole thing. Like we had, I remember doing the thousand with them, and we had the two race bikes, and then 
both teams had a spare bike. And then we had, we had enough parts to build a whole nother bike. Like we had the, my race bike for my personal, like I kept the bike just to ride and glamorous and have fun. I built it out of spare parts, like a frame. So I mean, everything, we had everything. We had multiple CDIs, multiple, I mean, it's just crazy That's how many awful. parts they, yeah. And it was funny because American Honda didn't have the money, but Honda Japan had tons of money. So Ogilvy was trying to pitch this to Honda Japan because they pay for it. They are the, you know, and the only way that, that that whole thing went through is because Honda Japan jumped in and funded everything. Because if not, Ogilvy would have had to use the money from the XR program, which there wasn't much to begin with there. So yeah, it's, it's kind of a funny that. story. Yeah, he wasn't going to take any money away from his guy. No, there was not enough to begin with when you look at what the road racing and the Supercross, you know, budgets were off-road was nothing. Right. And, and off-road was probably the most successful. Oh, yeah, by far. Yeah. But you know what? Honda's racing programs, when Honda decides they want to do it, yeah, you're not going to beat them. So we got to remember, you know, early 90s, the desert was green. Like, Kawasaki went out there and painted that desert green. They won every race, 250s, 125, 500, where, you know, the Hamill and Honeycutt and Ty Davis and those guys won everything. They were dominating the score. They, you know, they best in the desert. They did well. Heron Hound and all that stuff. And so for Ogilvy to come in with that, I think it was a 650 at the time. You know, they, they weren't that competitive with the 600, but that 650 came out. That changed the whole game. And that, you know, that whole desert. And when I mean desert, I mean Mexico and U.S. went from green to red pretty much overnight. Now that's got to piss Kawasaki off. Yeah, I mean, you got to you got to Ogilvy, you know, rest in peace. You got to give Ogilvy a ton of credit for what he did with with a short amount of time and a small little budget compared with those other guys were spending. Yeah, and and he had good riders and good team, and and his knowledge and of knowing how to prep it and knowing how. Well, he was no slouch either, so he was probably teaching those guys how to ride. Too. Yeah, his knowledge was amazing. I mean, his knowledge was. I remember testing with that guy, and he had a little white Vox van with a microwave. Yep. And, um, you know, for like the thousand, he made us ride the Baja 1000 over and over and over and over again until he broke that bike. And then when it broke, that bike was shipped to Japan. They fixed it. And then when it came back, same thing over again. Okay. Thousand miles or whatever the miles, but, you know, say it was 983. We raced 983 at race speed in the middle of like high desert with a bunch of Japanese guys in Ogilvy and he wanted us to break that bike, like literally. So the bike wasn't race ready until it, it can finish a race at a race speed with racers on it. I mean, it was old and I've never been uh, just ultra prep. I mean, it was crazy. And that's what it takes to win. And yeah, you know, it, 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 raising the bar, you know, racing against Honda or racing against everybody, it raises the bar so that when we go and prep our own machines and we learn, you just learn at a higher level. You know, oh, I agree. hundred percent. It's just the way it is. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't there again, like I said, I've, I've had, I've been very fortunate and had an amazing career, you know, but a lot of guys had that, like, you know, roll had it because of the Kawasaki thing, you know, roll would rate a lot of people don't know that Doug roll was racing Kawasaki's factory. You know what I mean? He learned a lot, you know, what he does. And I'm, I'm sure he knew a lot of it too, but he had, anytime you're involved with those factories, like Lauren learned it from Honda with Marty and the pro, you know, the, off, the motocross program. And, you know, we learned it from the, you know, from Ogilvy and the Hondas and Roll learned that. See, what's sad about now is those, these guys won't get that. And I'm not saying that lessens them as a writer, but it's different. I mean, when you're involved with, like, you, you understand it, it's a whole other level. 
it, it takes you to a whole another platform that you, you thought you were prepped and then you see someone else you're like oh my god that's prep like and, that's and, crazy and that's and that's the thing that that you know most people don't understand really how many hours it takes and how much you really have to do to prep a bike yeah the, the, you know they don't understand the cost the, the testing the actual cost to go out and prep it. Well, you know, you take an 0405 Honda and we're going to build it for, uh, for a race machine. You know what? I have the platform. We know yeah. what we're going to use. We know how to put it together. We put it together. We go shake it down and it goes to the starting line. Yeah. There's no more yeah. uh, you're not out testing those parts. We already know that those parts are the parts you're going to use. We already know how to assemble it. Uh, and but people still don't realize just because we have that knowledge and we know what parts to put on there didn't lessen the cost any. No, no. If anything, it increased it. It did. It really yeah. did because you still have man hours and you know, there's guys that may scoff at this and they can scoff all they want, but the last thousand bike that I built or the last best in the desert, uh, Vegas Torino bike that I built, I had 60 man hours in it, putting it together. Yeah. Racing was full time. I mean, it didn't pay full-time money, but I mean, to do, like for us, we were doing score and best in the desert. That was, I think one team, so the A team, we, you know, we'll call it the A team, whatever you want to call it. The first team had, I think, four bikes to do those two, those two series. So the Baja 1000 was always one bike. Like we just said, the Baja 1000 just destroys the bike. So that was always a brand new bike just for that race. And after the race, it was done. It just, it was no coming back from that race. And then the 250, 500 word bike. And then same thing on the best and desert side, you know, the Nevada is a big rock. You know that, I mean, Nevada is just, it's, it's rocks uh, under rocks on top of rocks behind rocks. I mean, it's just rocks. It's just, so anytime after race, the, the bikes just trashed. So, you know, it took two or three bikes to finish that series, but in between you're building bikes and testing and you were always developing, always making them better, you know, motor packages and suspension packages. I mean, how many times have we tested with, Martin and those guys from Elka, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. I saw him more than I saw my wife for a long time. It was, it was bad. And nothing is Martin. He's not, he's pretty, he's a pretty person, but he, you know, not that way, but it was just a different, <laughs> it was different, you know, and, and um, you know, I saw you more than I saw my family and I saw Lauren more and it was good. I, I'm, like, I, I won't trade that in for anything. I, I wouldn't give that up. I'd love to live another day in that, to be honest with you, but it was just, at that time, that was the commitment we had to do to be successful. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't understand that. They think you just jump on a bike and you're super fast, you're going to win. That's unfortunately not the case. And, and I totally think that the younger guys don't even realize the guys that are trying to be fast today, the self-sacrifice that it takes to get there, not only in your training, but in your knowledge of learning how to work on the machine, your knowledge of, of just the, the function of the business of racing also. Yeah. Cause there's a whole element to the, to the business of racing that most people never get. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah. Agreed. You know, I mean, sponsors to just treating a, a racer or well, a, you gotta a, make everybody I, happy. Yeah. Well, you got to treat the guy that works on your stuff decent, yeah. you know, or he's going to be. Well, then your pit crew too, at the same time. I mean, the, the pit guys, you know, that those guys are, we didn't pay any of them. You know, they, they were like, Joe Graves, you know, that perfect guy comes to mind. And, and, you know, we had a really, really good crew of guys that, I mean, you remember for Baja 1000, we were probably down there 10 days, you know, yeah. from pre-running to racing to coming home. And it was, it was probably 10 days. And 
I think, you know, we, we, we did what we could. We covered their hotels and we, you know, we took them to dinner and stuff like that. But still, they still, you know, took time off work. You know, they were wear tear on their vehicles. And that's something that those guys were invaluable. You know, I could never repay what those guys have done. You know, I love, you can say thank you, thank you, thank you all you want, but it doesn't make it, you know, those guys. And, and the engine guys and the, and the guys that help on the, you know, the pit guys, you just you can't replace that. But, you know, the guys that, because I was one of those guys, you know, granted, I worked for Duncan Racing and I granted Lauren's my brother. And, but I still was one of those guys that was given my free labor to those teams. And when you, when they, when one of the riders would walk by and pat me on the back and go, hey, thanks. That was the world. Yeah, it meant the world. I mean, when you win, when we won, we won as a team. I mean, it was a a Baja 1000 win, or even a a 150-mile desert race in Nevada. When you won, it was 30 people winning that race. It wasn't two. You know what I mean? It just, there was a lot of behind the scenes that people don't understand. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of fast guys in the desert that were really, really fast that never really succeeded because of that. They didn't understand the prep and the commitment and the, the, testing and the, you know they didn't understand all that they just thought they're gonna ride 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 train 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 and that you know they're gonna be super fast and a lot of them were really really fast but until hey, you do that next level look at josh fredericks he was yeah. always fast yeah and always so had the roaches quads <laughs> yeah and then when he got when he finally got with the team yep. that could put it together for him look at how he excelled he rode the wheels off that can um Oh yeah, he did amazing yeah. on Can Am when he rode the Honda before the Can Am. Yeah, oh, dude, he was dude, he was phenomenally fast. Yeah. He was phenomenally fast. I've seen that guy, kind of like an Eichner type rider. Like you could put him in the desert, he'll succeed. You put him on a motocross track, he's going to do well. You put him at works, he's going to do well. He's just really versatile. It's really it's rare. Some guys were really really fast on a track, but couldn't do anything else. Some guys were really really fast in the desert, but really weren't fast anywhere else. But you know, guys like him and Eichner could do both easily and, and succeed at both. And and it's kind of crazy. They come from totally different background yeah. of where they evolved from. But not really. Like, you know, Josh and, you know, Eichner, they're both quiet. They're both kind of keep to themselves. Neither one are cocky and arrogant. They're kind of like sleepers. You're talking about the Doug I know? <laughs> well, the Eichner that most people know. Like, Doug's different <laughs> when you travel with them, but... The, the Doug that 90% of the people saw was very quiet. He kind of kept to himself, put his head down and did his thing, right? Yep. And that's how Josh was. Like, Josh wasn't flashy. Like, Josh was kind of the same way. Like, just put his head down, never really complained. Like, like you said, he wrote some bad quads, and he just went as fast as he could, did what he could with it. And, they, you know, and then there's other riders that complain about everything. You know, everything sucked. Everything was a problem, you know? They, those guys were probably anti that, both of them. You know, I, I'm sure that we missed the nail more than we hit the nail when Doug was riding the bikes I was building for him, <laughs> but he never did complain. The, no. the couple of times where, you know, it cost him a win or it cost him a finish. Um, those are the times when he, when, he, you know, the ride home was tough, but you, you still got to do your thing. And, and, you know, he, yeah. he'd be hot under the collar for a couple of days, but then he would, uh, he'd come back around and, and, you know, we'd form a plan for the next weekend because you didn't have time to, you know, we were racing every weekend. We didn't have time to be mad for more than a couple of days or more than a couple of hours because you may win, you may have won a championship, but the season starts in two weeks. You've got to be ready. Yeah, totally agree. I totally agree. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that was the worst thing about best, best in the desert or some of those series ending their last race in the second week of December. Right. 
starting the second week of January. Yeah, long season. <laughs> You're like, long, drawn-out season. Yeah, really? Well, you went from, you know, I think that the December race, if I remember right, the start line was like 20 degrees. You know what I mean? Well, so you're racing at 20 degrees, and then I think you race in July or June in Nevada. It's 110 degrees. So yeah. you've experienced all of it. I mean, it's. I remember one year at Henderson 250, I think it was, when Score tried to race in Nevada, they did Henderson 250 one year. And I think Terrible Hurst put like a $10,000 purse, just something crazy. And they made it part of the Score race. And, we, and the race was like thrown in at the last minute. And w- when we start of the year we didn't plan on doing henderson we just figured okay it's a throw out we won't do it and then i think we had like a bad 250 or bad 500 so we're like oh we we have to go do it and the only bike we had to do it was a raptor it was a <laughs> raptor 660 it was a brand new raptor 660 i think we used it for like displays like show bike and i mean it had roll everything access shot it was built but we never wanted to ride it it was just a pretty bike and that was the only bike we had available so me and i could go out there on this raptor 660 and we race henderson and we won. And we won, I think we won like 10 grand, if I remember right. And it was 128 degrees. Like, I, I think I did the last lap, I finished. And at the end, at the finish line, there was this little kiddie pool, like a little, you know, foot tall, you know, six by, you know, round kiddie pool. And I've, I've never, I, I thought I was going to die because, you know, running at 660, that thing is hot between your legs. And it's 120 degrees outside. Yep. And I literally got to the finish line and I literally got off and I just, sat in that kiddie pool i was done but you know a couple minutes later you start you, you just realize what you did you know what i mean you won anderson 250 you won 10 grand Yay. but i remember that bike i think the battery melted if i'm right I, I totally remember that battery like i think it cracked in half i don't know how the bike finished like the battery cracked in half and it was melted together and i mean it had the bike was done like it was destroyed in 250 miles but it, but finished. it just it finished yeah that's all like we finished we glued the one that Alan and I raced back together after every race we were. <laughs> I remember that thing was stupid fast too. Oh God. It, well, they got video of me riding it in about knee high whoops at 103 miles an hour. Yeah. No, I think I remember how fast that thing was. Just, I just couldn't turn it or it couldn't stop either. It couldn't stop or turn, but it was we stupid. A, fast, just point and shoot. We had a power booster from the front reservoir off the street bike to get the front brakes to grab hard enough. Yeah, I remember I rode that thing with the Nevada 1000, I think. Or, yeah. 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 Me and you. <laughs> that thing was super fast, but it wouldn't turn. It wouldn't stop. So it's kind of like a banshee. You kind of just point and shoot and hope for the best. You know well, what I mean? All right. We got third. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember that. That was fun. I mean, we that rode by ourselves fun. most of the whole race. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's what I mean. I mean, we rode, Two of us over what three days or four days? What was it? Yeah, yeah. It was three days. I mean, imagine adding two more riders. How much easier that would be? How much faster we would have been? Yeah, I broke ribs on. The, I broke a rib on the first day. <laughs> I yeah. still, I still trust me. On the wrong day, I can still feel it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine. Yeah, it's it's nuts. You know, I, I think we could talk forever about about all of these things. Yeah. Just from your perspective, working in the industry, where do you think the ATV industry is going to go in the racing side of it? Do you think it's going to, do you think it's going to rebound? Because some of the classes on the West coast are starting to get larger. Yeah. But 
it's a teeter thing. I mean, the woods have always been big. They never slowed down. So I think that's a great question. And here's why. Because I think if you would ask me that question, let's call it March 1st, I would have said it's going to die and go away, sadly. Not that I want to see that, but I think it was going away and it was dying a slow death. Now, with COVID, and I don't know if anyone's ever talked about this, is it's a different world. Think about it. You can't go to the movies. You can't go to the movie theater. You can't really, you shouldn't be going to like, you know, you really can't go to baseball games or soccer games or, I mean, anything with large crowds that you were doing before, you probably can't do anymore. So you're going to see a lot of people, what better way to social distance than being on a motorcycle or a quad or a jet ski or mountain bike? I mean, you look at all those outdoor industries. I've talked to people in fishing and camping and, you know, sell RVs, guys and bicycles. They're luckily are doing really, really well because people are changing their focus. They're going from, okay, I'm going to, maybe not go see the new Star Wars movie. I'm going to go buy a mountain bike and I'm going to go ride after work three days a week or four days a week. You know, they're getting healthy, which is good, you know, for obviously for obvious reasons. And it's the best way to social distance. You're locked down. You can go ride a bike. You don't have to, you know, you can do your own thing by yourself. You can go ride a mountain bike. You know, you can go ride a quad, a dirt bike. I think with that, I think that's going to change in ATV included. You know, UTV is going to, you know, obviously benefit from it as well, but you're going to see a lot more of this stuff, outdoor stuff wise. So, you know, the more guys that get new into the sport, that was the biggest problem is getting new people, you know, younger kids getting, growing up into the sport. You know, those people are going to turn into racers. You know, the guys that are just love it or really good at it, have a knack for it. I think they'll graduate into, you know, racing a novice class at a works race or racing, you know, whatever at a national or cross country race. So I, I do see that growing, you know, in the next 18 months. Well, that's a, that's a good perspective. I know that COVID is, you know, Lauren and I sat down and we had in, in February at some point, I don't even remember now I was, uh, we've been so busy, uh, you lose track, but we sat down with an A, B, C plan, maybe a D plan. And we did not plan to get busier. Yeah. We were planning for uh, shelter in place, you know, how many days yeah. are going to work, how are yep. we going to open the building and keep it closed at the same time, you know, and, and, you know, you're just covering for all this. And two days later, the, the, the online store is going wild and the phone won't quit ringing and yeah. shipping more packages than we have. And bikes are rolling through the door to get worked on. And we're just like, what happened? Almost feels like 0405, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, a little. A little. Yeah. No, I agree. I, and you're not the only one. Like I've talked to people, like I said, on the bike side, I've talked to guys that sell RVs, talked to guys that do sporting goods, you know, fishing and hunting and same thing, same story, which is great. Like across the board, they're all doing extremely well, which is, you know, there's always a positive out of some type of negative. Obviously COVID's a big negative, you know, no one wants to see it. And I, I hope it goes away soon, but you got to look at the positive side of it. It added like you said, you know, you were going from plan A, B, C, or D. Now you're on a plan that you don't even planning on. You weren't planning on ramping up and getting busier. And a lot of people weren't, you know, the guys that could adjust quickly and compensate are going to do well. They're going to, you got to ride that wave as much as you can. There's guys that I know companies are shut down, like literally shut down March 13th when that lockdown, they just stopped, they laid people off and then things got busy. Now they're chasing it, which, you know, hopefully they catch on, but it's it's going to be different, but I think that'll help ATVs and I hope it'll help us sport. Well, our inventory is hasn't doubled yet, but it's it'll be doubled by the end of the year. 
in, in, in what we carry in stock because we can't keep up. We, we can't fill the orders that we have from the beginning of the year because of certain portions of the industry that got closed, you yeah. know, Chrome and things like that, that, you know, they just shut those people down and, and you know, they, when they don't work for six weeks, they open them up for two days and then they shut them down again. Yeah. What do you do? You know, you're just standing yeah. there. I got parts. Oh, I didn't get parts. Yeah. No, I, I, you know, even, even the, um, the people who make the parts, you know, whatever, whether that's domestic or overseas, you know, they're chasing it too. You know, they're wavy. They, no one was, you know, obviously no one could see this. I don't think who you are, you're crystal ball. No one saw this coming. So, I mean, the, the fact that there's a positive in it is, is good. I mean, let's make the best of that. You know, like, again, I hope, hope it ends quickly and people get back to normal life, but I'm glad this to a certain extent, maybe it let people refocus a little bit, you know what I mean? On, you know, maybe I don't need to, you know, I don't need to do that stuff. Maybe I need to go back to, you know, guys that used to write a lot are probably getting back into it again. You know what I mean? And, you know, I know I personally, you know, I haven't, I haven't ridden a quad in probably five or six years. I thought about getting another one. You know, I've been, I have this new bicycle in my garage that I didn't ride in two, three years. I've been riding three days a week now, just stuff like that. It just changes your focus a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's what we hope for. And that's what we can hope that the industry grows and that, you know, we keep this thing going. And I know Lauren and I are getting older, you know, we both have gray hair now and, and, you know, I have six grandkids and, wow, and, and he doesn't have any yet. And I'm almost three years younger than him, but the, 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 the thing, the evolution is, is we were in our teens and twenties when all this started. And now uh, we're in our fifties and we're still pushing the envelope on, you know, 12, 15 hour days. Yeah. Uh, at least five days a week, that many hours and, and your Saturdays and Sundays, you're working on those because you can't get everything done. Uh, you know, maybe it's clerical or whatever it is. You're still right. to, to, to get things done. And, and it, you know, you, you know, our work ethic, you've seen it. You've yeah. seen it in action yeah. and it just never slows down. It just never slows down. Yeah, no, that's good. I'm glad. I mean, like I said, to answer your question, hopefully I did answer. I, I know I'm long winded sometimes, but, I do think it's going to come back. I do. I really do. It's going to come back. Maybe not at the pro level, you know, maybe, but that, that, that's okay. You know, really the pro level never carried that sport. You know what I mean? You need those amateur, you need those 50 other classes there, you know, just so the pros show up. Well, the pros are the show and the A riders, B riders and C riders are all the ones that pay the bill. Yeah. But like cross country, I mean, I remember, you know, cross like the Ironman. What was the entry? Like 800 something, something stupid. You know, remember Adelano Grand Prix for us, like on the West Coast, they recognize the Adelano Grand Prix. I remember my first race in Adelano. I forgot what year it was. You know, it was on a, a probably an LT250. I remember probably being in the 15th or 20th line, you know what I mean, back. And the pros were coming around before we even started. And there were so many people in those classes. They put a, a line, they didn't let everyone go, they did a line at a time. You know, and, and I, I think, God, I don't know, you used to have four or 500 entries. You know what I mean? I think the last year I raced it was probably three or 400, you know, and that was probably, you know, 0203, I think. Um, I don't know what the, you know, I don't think they we still have race, it, but we, I remember the last year was nowhere near that. Didn't we all race it as a team? And that was the last year that we all did it. Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. took your, like, we took your finishes, they averaged them out. So like if you were third and I was second, you know, they averaged the 2.5 or whatever that was, you know what I mean? Yep. I and then if, if you beat like, you know, like say Caffrell got first and Jimmy got 10th, you know what I mean? They have that out. So no, I, I did. That's the last year I did it. I think we're on a, 
a Lobo, if I'm mistaken. Yeah, I, I didn't like that. I didn't. I didn't like that year. I mean, I didn't like the Alano Grand Prix. I never had success there. I ended up on my head. You know, I, I always sucked at that race. Yeah, because it was, it was everything. Like you went from it was a Grand Prix, obviously, and then it went through like wide open desert. You know, pin. So you had to be six gear pin through that stuff and those loops. And then you went through a motocross track that I just, you know, I, I didn't know how to turn. Right. But I remember the last year going back to, you know, like I can making people better. I remember the last year I trained and trained and practiced and practiced. And I think I got like six or seven. And for me, that was, I could have won that. Like for me, I felt like I won that day because you got to remember who the, the first, the guys in front of me were, you know what I mean? From so for me, that was Eichner, huge. Yoke, oh yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. So for me, that was like, I was like, oh my God, I got six or seven. That, and I was stoked. Like my goal was a top 10 and I got, I did pretty good. So that race was brutal though. I mean, I, yeah, I remember those guys, the people who won, it was always like an Eichner, Greg Stewart, you know, I think Nick Renlin, you know, some of those guys just came out and were super fast and they won. Didn't Grenlin get taken away that year? He hit Maybe. a and threw him on his noodle. Probably. Unfortunately. Yeah. It might've been. A long time ago, dude. That's 18 years ago. You want me to remember that? Yeah, I do. <sighs> You're stoned. That's crazy. I remember a lot of, I love, I remember a lot of crazy stuff, you know, <laughs> you, you, because you still do it and you keep living. Well, I remember there used to be a four stroke national, right? Yeah. <laughs> because four strokes didn't exist. So they made a race just for four strokes. Yeah. And now you have a two stroke national. So like, okay, we're going to have to go back and do it. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good stuff. Yeah, that's an old. We'll, yeah. we'll bring Doug out of retirement, having raced the two-stroke national. Yeah, he's probably still be competitive. And the guy, I, he's be competitive on a John Deere. You know what I mean? You put him on a lawnmower, he probably win something. He's still damn fast. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. sure he is. He's not. He's not Eichner pro fast anymore, but he's still fast. Yeah. Well, he made. You know, he made Polaris look fast. You know, on a quad, anyways. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean. Uh, he he wrote stuff that no one else would write and he would be successful at it. You know, he wrote a KTM, I think when not many people were on KTMs and he made, he made it look good. And just so not many people can do that. Uh, well, because he wrote everything from yeah. Mookie's home. He wrote a V force. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> I remember we won. I think you were there. We run one year on a 24 hour on a Kawasaki V force. Yep. I was there. Yeah. I was there. I wanted to ride the last lap and or the last three minutes. It was the last, section and i yeah. ride it and none of you guys would let me no i remember that yeah <laughs> because doug we put doug on to finish yeah. it off to make sure that we won yeah yeah yep i remember that i yeah. forgot about that until you just mentioned it yeah i forget that stuff he won washugal on that bike yeah yeah it works national we would we would go to a motocross track i think glenn helen or maybe el cajon it was a track at the time this is years ago and he did every jump on that V4 stock out of the, like bone stock. Yep. And people like on full race bikes weren't doing that stuff. And it was just, it was Doug. It's just what he did. Remember that big step up tabletop in the center? And he did it every time? But without hesitation, like just, you know, Coriolis would go over on his, you know, whatever wives or whatever he's right at the time. And Doug right behind him on the V4 700. Well, and people would just sit there like, oh my God, what the hell? And when he jumped it on an Outlander, everybody knew he was nuts. <laughs> I remember that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Good times. Exactly. We're going to have to do this again. So you have an open invitation to come back and see us at ATV Talk. Okay. Uh, I really enjoyed the time. I know that we've 
it, it lapsed our, our, our welcome here. Um, we all have to get up and go to work tomorrow. So yeah, unfortunately, I, I really appreciate you spending the time with us and, um, please know that it, it was an honor and a pleasure to have you on. Oh, it's fun. I appreciate you. Off. Like, again, thanks for uh, asking. I thought this was a, you know, I was a little reluctant at first. You know, I think I told you that was like, really? I just, you know, the way I looked at it was like, okay, I can see Eichner. I can see people like that. But I was like, you know, what do I, like, what do I need to add? Or what can I add to, to, um, you know, what you're doing? But then after talking to you and after thinking, I was like, hey, we did some cool stuff. So it'd be kind of fun to talk about it. Exactly. And that's what the whole point of this whole deal is, is there's so many things that went on that nobody knows about. Yeah. You know, I'm sure there's stories that you haven't told of things that you've done and your wife's going, you didn't tell me that. <laughs> and it's, you know, that, that was, that sounds like you had a fun time, you know, or, yeah. I, I mean, I know that my wife, uh, Terry wasn't around for any of it. So all of the stories that she's hearing are all new. I'm glad we didn't talk about all the other stuff then. Wow. Th- that's on you. <laughs> <laughs> that was you and that was you and Doug and somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> Probably Spaith or somebody, yeah. Yeah, there you go. It's, it was <laughs> it was all Spaith's fault. Yeah, blame Spaith. But you know, it was a lot of fun, and and I had a great time, and I really enjoyed you you telling the stories and your opinions on where the industry's going. We need a good uplift and somebody with a positive outlook, um, so that we can so that we can get it going again. Yeah. My pleasure. Again, thanks for having me. Thank you very much, John. Um, make sure you cut, make sure you, st- you stay in touch. Um, and, uh, let's do this again, brother. All right, man. Take care. Thank you. Have a very good one. The team here at ATV talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATV talk podcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking after your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolutions.org or call for an appointment, 858-571-0160. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.